I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This podcast is produced on Gadigal land. When they had this Adina dance, 350 women attended. Oh my goodness. There was a domestic violence uh, survivor. She shared her story about how she went through abuse and how she managed to come out of that abuse and how she's surviving. And the following Monday, we had 20 women come to report domestic violence. You're listening to Short Black with me, Sandra Sully. Good women, great chat. Well, what a pleasure it is today to introduce to Short Black, Rosemary Karayuki, OAM. Good morning, Rosemary. Good morning, Sandra. Now, we met in 2022, and I was so struck by just you, your smile, your infectious enthusiasm. You have a big personality, but you've also equally got a big story to tell, don't you? Yes, I remember very well how we met and when I saw you because I always watch Channel 10. I knew it was you and I couldn't wait to say hi to you. <laughs> we have to say that I'm sitting here. But for those that don't know your backstory, if they haven't seen the documentary Rosemary's Way, you're a woman from Kenya who arrived in Australia. You were in your late 30s, all alone. I came here in 1999 from a small village called Eldoret in Kenya. And I was running away from the tribal clashes because of politics. And I wanted to go to the farthest place in the world because I was so angry with my country. I love my country. And where is farthest than Australia? (laughs) (laughs) That's how I landed here with one suitcase. That was the saddest time in my life because I had to leave my two boys back home. But I said I cannot go with them to a place I don't know. And in fact, I didn't even have the money to pay the ticket for them. So when I hear the radio saying or the TV saying, the boat people, I say, I'm one of them, although I came flying. (laughs) (laughs) But um, when I landed, I didn't know anybody. So at the airport, my idea was to go to a taxi and tell them to take me to the cheapest, cheapest motel. But when I'm standing there, I saw this African lady. She's from Ethiopia. And I went to her as if she was the one I was waiting for. (laughs) And I remember telling her all my problems in two seconds. You take me or you leave me. And for sure she took me in. Her name is Meskerem, and I call her my Aussie mom. And I am still very good friends with Meskerem. You talked about tribal clashes, but really you left a very difficult family life as well. Yes. 16 siblings sexually abused by your older relatives at the age of 11, rejected by your family when you became pregnant, and as you've just admitted, had to run away and leave your sons at home. Do you remember the courage it took at the time to actually book that flight and say, I must escape? I had to sit with myself and have a meeting with myself many, many times. 
because my biggest fear too was I'm leaving my sons. What about they get the abuse I went through? That was behind my mind every time. And I said, I must go because I wanted a better life for myself and a better life for my children. But uh, the abuse was still there in back in my mind. I never dealt with it, but it used to come every day. But one thing I knew from the time I was young, I wanted a better life. And showing everyone who is abusing me that I'm better than that. I wanted to show off to them they haven't determined me. They haven't put me down. And I think that thing in me that kept on fighting. So even when the abuse happened, although in the beginning I didn't even know it was an abuse, you cannot tell anyone. Because when you tell somebody, you are, I'm the one who is bad. So you don't know who to tell. But you have not only moved to Australia and made a new life, you've made a great life. You were given the Order of Australia in 2022, Local Hero for the Australian of the Year Award in 2021. You're a multicultural liaison officer with the New South Wales Police Force. You set up the Multicultural Exchange Program. In a nutshell, your means have been anything but orthodox. But what you've done is create really a warm, loving heart voice and ear for other African women who've settled in Australia. That's clearly your mission. Not only the Africans, but all the multicultural women in this country, because I work with all the migrants, refugees, asylum seekers. And from the word go when I came, my second month in this country, I started volunteering, visiting the lonely people in the nursing home. As much as I had all these uh, problems, I was very lonely. So when I saw an advertisement, I said, what a better life. A lonely person going to visit another lonely person. (laughs) My first lady I was going to visit was an Australian. She was 92 years with an Indian accent. So me, I have an accent. She has an accent. You could see us talking about our accents. (laughs) She said she was a missionary in India. That's why she had an accent. Then she passed on, I got another one, passed on, I got another one, she passed on. Remember, these are the only family I have. So it's part of my family is passing. So it was also very difficult and also bringing very bad memories for me. So I decided I'm done with that. I'm going to get another volunteer thing to do. And that's how I started looking for the Africans. I used to live in Randwick. And in Randwick, there was no African. I only saw two the time I lived there. And... uh, Eventually, I found them, and I joined African Community Council, and I was elected as the women's representative. And that's where the journey working with the Africans started. And that's the time there are a lot of South Sudanese, Liberians, and Sierra Leoneans were coming in huge numbers. That's how I got the job as my cultural community liaison officer with the New South Wales Police, and I started in Auburn. And when I was working there, I realized the Africans were not accessing services. And what's the biggest barrier? Is it just language? No, the barrier was so many, many things. First of all, they didn't know that the services are there. Second thing, big families, so they don't know who do they leave the kids with. They didn't have transport. Language barrier was the, the biggest, biggest thing. And a lot of them had a lot of problems with the police. The kids go to school, no lunch. Oh, they go to school, they have not showered. So I, I started asking, how do we get the Africans? And the service providers tell me, leave the Africans alone. 
they don't come to anything. So your job and your mission was to change that and make services accessible and cut through all of those barriers, which clearly you've done. But it's been a long road, hasn't it? It's a long, long road, but uh, I'm a fighter. I fight for it because when I, I realised too they were not accessing services, so I thought, how do I bring them to know that the services are there for them? And I thought, what is an African woman like? They like dressing up, they like eating good food, and they like dancing. And that's how the first African Women Dinner Dance was created. And that was the linchpin, was it, for gathering people like bees to a honeypot? That's what got <laughs> those women out of those homes in Sydney. African women, you appeal to their, really their cultural sensitivities for music and dance. Yes. And dress and colour. And that is a need which is suppressed. They didn't have anywhere to go and we dance. When a child is born, we dance. When a child dies we, or anybody dies, we dance. When we are harvesting, we dance. Everything, our message is through dancing. So this is a big need which is removed. And so when they had this Adina dance, 350 women attended. Oh, my goodness. And you should have seen how happy they were. Yes. And I remember there was a domestic violence survivor who shared her story. She was an Australian. She shared her story about how she went through abuse and how she managed to come out of that abuse and how she's surviving. And the following Monday, we had 20 women come to report domestic violence. Then from there, they started coming. Even it's housing, they'll come to me. And through coming to me, I'll work with them. We started organizing information sessions for them, showing them how to pack a healthy lunch, telling the kids to shower. So from there, it was a good journey. And then uh, the Culture Exchange Program was born in 2008. Dinadan started 2006. Women from Aladala, South Coast, they saw us on a newspaper. And they said they want to come for the dinner dance, but they don't have money to pay the motels or the hotels. And I said, you can come and share accommodation with us if you don't mind sleeping on the floor or sharing the bed. And for sure they came. So the following morning, after the dinner dance, we were making breakfast in my house. And we were saying, how do you make that? What do you call that? You know, women in the kitchen, how they talk. And one of the ladies from Aladala said, hang on. You can come to Aladala and we continue cooking. And for sure, we took on the challenge and we went to Aladala and that's how the culture exchange program was born. And every year we go to places, we have gone to Griffith, Aladala two times, Blue Mountain three times, Port Macquarie, Maitland, Jeringong, Central Coast, and a town called Korowa in the border of Victoria and New South Wales. And I remember we went to Korowal. The local school invited us the second time. They took three women. There's Indian, there's Iraqi, there's Pakistan. There's all different types of women. So you got three women from different countries in a class. Let's say, for example, the class is for law or agriculture. So the students will ask a question, and each woman will answer the question regarding their own country. So you can imagine by the time we are done, I had learned so much about these women. And down the line, the principal wrote me an email and said, Rosemary, you have no idea. The school turned around. It was a very troubled school, but it turned around after hearing all the stories from these women. And what was it about those stories that you think turned that school around? 
because when you are answering a question, you tell a story. They had some women walk months and months for safety. They hear that some didn't even have homes. Some don't even know where their children are. Some don't even know where the families are. So all those stories. And they realized we have everything. But we, we are just giving the teachers and our parents a hard time. And I think hearing of this, all these stories, it turned them around and it became a very good school. It sounds to me like you gave those kids something to relate to. Yes, yeah. They didn't feel so alone because everyone's journey is exceptionally different and yet there's often common threads that can pull us all together. And I want to share a, a bit about what comes after the culture exchange program. I remember one lady, she's a Pacific Islander, a big lady, and we went to Jeringong, the Seven Mile Beach, and she was just admiring the water and she was crying. The tears were just coming out. So I asked her, why are you crying? And she said, I did not know that somebody can love me. It broke my heart. Because everybody there, they love each other, they hug each other, they dance. And everybody doesn't matter whether you have language or not, you still communicate. Then another South Sudanese lady too, she was also crying and I said, in a different corner, and I said, what is happening? And he's looking at the water. And she said, I never knew I would ever see water ever again. So I asked the daughter who was there, why haven't you taken your mother to the beach? We are surrounded by so many beautiful beaches. She said, I did not know she wants to go to the beach. <laughs> Then uh, they look jobs for each other. Even when you don't have language, they go to where they work and they get jobs for their friends because they make friendships. And they said, we will work together and I'll be explaining to her. And because they're hard workers, they all get jobs. It's no surprise you're referred to as Big Mama <laughs> or Mama Africa. Yeah. Uh, you've been in Australia for about 23 years. Do yes. you call Australia home? Oh, yes. I call Australia home. I love it. I have seen it evolving from people not talking to me. Now people don't stop talking to me. <laughs> How have perceptions changed? You know, when you look back to what you were greeted with and what you live with now, can you walk us through that change in the last 23 years? Yeah. So when I came, nobody was talking to me. And you know how I like talking. I come from a very big family of two wives, a father who has 16 children, cousins, aunties, neighbors. We used to be like 50 of us and here I'm alone. And people are not talking to me. So I used to wonder, why are people not talking to me? And I remember my first Christmas, which was 2000, I had these Christmas cards. And then I sat down with a cup of tea and I say, unit number one, Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. My name is Rosemary of unit number seven. Could you please be talking to me? <laughs> and I put my number there. And half an hour before midnight, I put all of them under the doors. And what sort of reception did you get? Oh, my, everyone started talking to me and they started talking to each other. And what I learned about that is when you see something, be the change. I could have sat there and said, these people are racist, these people are what, I didn't do that. I did something, and that's what I keep on telling people I meet on the way. When you see there's a need, do something about it. Even if you don't have an answer, share with somebody else. Are you often confronted by racism here, or is it more the fear of the unknown and not understanding? 
for me, I think is a fear of unknown. When I was in Maryland, I was still working with the police, I had a morning tea and two elderly ladies came and they said that is the first time they have come even to talk to a refugee. They live in Maryland. You know, Maryland is a multicultural suburb, but they had not talked to anyone. They had not said hi to anyone. So I asked them, why hadn't you talked to them? So it's the fear of the unknown. I went to live in Bokham Hills where I lived for nine years. Nobody was talking to me too. And that time I had lived for long, like over 10 years in this country, but I had other friends, but the neighbors, they were not talking to me. And I made a decision, wherever I will move to and I will live, I'll make a difference. So I built a house in Oran Park in Camden. And in my street, thank God I was the first person. So when I see a truck, I go there, I introduce myself, I give them my card, I tell them the shops are there, the bigger shops are there, the jeep is there. And when you did anything, I am in that house. Just come and knock. And I'm telling you, in Orange Park, everybody talks to everyone. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. See, it's your big heart and your big smile that's so infectious, <laughs> you know, and you often say laughter is your secret weapon. You've just written a book called A Joyful Life, and there's a magnificent picture of you on the cover with this absolutely, you know, splendid red headdress. What's the rationale behind the book? What are you trying to say? A Joyful Life is about my journey, about my life. And I remember I have a ghostwriter called uh, Samaland who is beautiful. She just understands me. And I remember telling her, I want to write my book. And every chapter, I want to leave people with a message. Yes, the journey, you know, bad ones. I went through domestic violence. I went through family abuse. I went through tribal clashes. But every chapter, I come up with a positive. I want to leave the people knowing you cannot just stand in one standstill. Whatever has happened to you, you need to move forward. Because even you... You stay where you are. The sun will rise, the sun will set, and you still stuck. Make sure the people who are putting you down, the people who have abused you, can see that you have become something. Can you imagine now when the people see me, where I am today? Have you been back home to Kenya since you left? The last 10 years, I go every year to see my mom because now it's safe. My mom is 97. She's very happy. So I always go and see her every year because... I know I don't have long with her. And what about your two sons? How long was it before you were able to see them after you left? So what I did when I came, because it took me six years before I got to my permanent residency, I decided I'll bring, when they finish equivalent to year 12, I bring them as international students. 
Because if I waited, I didn't know when I'm going to get my permanent residence. And you cannot postpone life waiting for what you don't know. And, I, and that's another lesson I teach. You don't have to postpone life waiting for what will happen tomorrow. How do you know it will happen? So uh, when they finish, uh, the first one came after two years. The other one came after four years. And my nephew, who I brought as my child, also came after three years. Do you remember when they first arrived? What were their impressions? When my son came, I remember my first son. He came with a, a small suitcase and I asked him, where are your clothes? I said, oh, I didn't come with them because I'll get better ones here. <laughs> I wanted to kill him because I don't have any money. I've used all the money to pay his fees and to pay for his air ticket. Uh, but uh, he was very happy. He came and started school and he's doing very well. My nephew who came second, also him, he was happy because he found my son and they grew up together. And uh, today he's a manager with Australian Post. And then my youngest son, that one came now when I had already gotten my permanent residency. And now he's an electrical engineer with two kids and he's living in Brisbane. <laughs> so they have made it and I'm so proud of that. Something else I wanted to share is how I open my house. Everywhere I've gone, I have opened my door. Because most of the Kenyans who come here, they are international students. They are 18 years, 19 years, some even 17 years. I open my house wherever and when they feel homesick, they come. Christmas time, they come a whole week. Later on, they tell me, Rosemary, you know, I found my husband in your house. I met my wife in your house. I can't even remember. Some, I don't even know them. And even up to today, people just come. Not only Kenyans, everyone, even my Aussie friends. Something else I do, I always have a couch or a day bed outside. I always have a good garden wherever I live. So uh, I have a day bed, I have a fridge now here, and I have some fruits inside, I have some newspaper. People just come and lie, and uh, they get the herbs or vegetables. The only thing they pay is watering them. I say, you make sure you water. <laughs> because I give them this space. Sometimes somebody wants to come and just be themselves. And because I always have a good garden, although right now it needs help. <laughs> That's what struck me, actually, when I first met you, that you've had such a, a tough, rough journey, and yet as soon as you arrived, you wanted to give back. But your work as a multicultural liaison officer with New South Wales Police... How did that job come about and what are some of the biggest challenges you face there? I love my job and uh, this year is the 17th year. And why I love my job is to see a woman coming broken, broken. And down the line, six to one year, that woman, I meet them in the, in, I meet them in the streets. They are dancing happy, saying, Rosemary, I'm happy. That keeps on going because when the, the women come to me through domestic violence, and my role is to refer them. I refer them to services, but for myself, I go extra mile. I connect them with social groups. I connect them to, with jobs. I connect them with other women. Some are very broken. It takes a long time. But the challenges which I face is seeing a woman, abusive relationship, bad ones, and they still go back. That one breaks my heart. And what about the toll it takes on you? personally, because while you've got a big heart and you're always positive and looking forward, do you ever suffer compassion fatigue where you just can't take on someone else's problems? How do you deal with that? 
Uh, how I look after myself. I have wonderful, wonderful people around myself. And that's what one thing I also tell people. Make sure you get positive people. Stay away from negative people. Because the negative people pull all your energy. So I have a wonderful group of people, my mentors, my personal advisors. I love life. <laughs> I like dancing. We are always doing something like uh, last Sunday I came here to the city in a very nice restaurant. We danced. The other weekend we went to Barrel for wine tasting. So every time I, I do fun things, and I think that's how I detox. And one thing when I go home every day, I watch The Bold and the Beautiful. <laughs> Why do you watch The Bold and the Beautiful? <laughs> and Home and Away. And Home and Away. And that's how I disassociate myself from what has happened daytime. That's your switch off. Yeah, I switch off. I love The Bold and the Beautiful. Who is sleeping with who? Who have gone to who? Who is killing the other one? Who is... <laughs> <laughs> Who is going out in the brook now? <laughs> what happened to Ridge? Oh, Ridge is still, now he's been uh, left. Uh, Taylor and uh, Brooke have become friends <laughs> and disowned Ridge. So Ridge is in isolation thinking what to do next. You know, I met the original Ridge. Ah. Yeah, all wow. those years ago. I'll show you a picture of me and Ridge. Oh. I know, handsome devil he was, very handsome. My children can't believe that I watched that. <laughs> but I want something uh, not taxing, something yes. just to laugh. Yes. Uh, that's why I watched that then. I watch, why I watch Home and Away, it reminds me of home. Oh, does that have so? Yes, because we help each other. How these kids come very troubled and uh, people accept them and you can see that transformation. I love seeing that. Who knew in a conversation for Short Black with uh, Rosemary Karayuki OAM that we would discover the importance of soaps in our lives and how it helps us laugh and switch off and enjoy the frivolous. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. When you look back at your life in Kenya, are you proud to call Kenya your home? I call Kenya home and I call Australia my home. Many people say, where will you retire? I say, I'll retire in Australia because this is my home and where my interests are. And I cannot leave what I've done here. But I always go home. I'll always go home to Kenya. That's where my, all my family say, and I have a big family. But... This is my, my, my favourite home. You know, when you think most people who've grown up in Australia and lived a full life have never reached the heights that you have, you know, receiving an Order of Australia, being acknowledged as a, a local hero, the number of lives you've changed and, as I mentioned earlier, your rather unorthodox methods, which are really through laughter and love and dance and song, but you're all about enticing people out of those cultural silos. And in Australia... It's, you know, it's a constant news story about how refugees are assimilating, how they're getting to know the Australian culture. And what you're doing is, is really reaching out with just a big heart and a smile and using the power of conversation to cut through. When I got to the 2021 uh, Australian Local Hero, my message was stop living in silos and get to know your neighbour. Get to know your neighbor is not only your next door neighbor. Your neighbor can be that woman you meet in the school, pushing a pram, nobody talking to her. An office mate who before was talky-talky, but now for all of a sudden doesn't talk to anyone. Your neighbor with these kids who are running up and down, the ladies wearing hijab, those are your neighbors. 
So let us start talking to them. This country's multicultural community. Do we practice it? No. You find a Kenyan is going to another Kenyan. You find a, an Indian with another Indian. Then why are we here? I always give an example. It's like white rice and pilau or biryani. If you are given, which one would you go for? The biryani because it's tastier. So when you meet people, you come to my house on a Wednesday night. There's a South African who have come. There's a, an Australian down the road. There's another Indian from And everybody brings a plate. We are sitting down around the table eating. And my grandson who I live with asked me, he calls me Shosho, his grandma in our language. Shosho, you did not tell me we have visitors. I say, Montel, I didn't know we had visitors. <laughs> That's the type of the place we live. Sometimes I don't have onion. I'll just call the next and say, I say uh, do you have any onions here? I'm sending Motel to get me some. <laughs> well, I think, Rosemary, um, you know, on behalf of everyone that is in your orbit and those that aren't, unlucky for them, we thank you for sharing such a big heart and an open front door, an open table, an open kitchen, and encouraging everyone to remember that those that aren't necessarily speaking up might just be nervous, shy and afraid, but a warm heart and an engaging hello can go a long way to making people feel more comfortable and welcome here. Thanks so much for all you do and thanks so much for spending some time with us here at Short Black. What I would want to leave the people with is open your hearts, open your hands, open your home and we make a better Australia. Thank you. You have been listening to Short Black, a Network 10 podcast. To make sure you don't miss any episodes, subscribe in your favourite podcast app. Thanks for listening. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.